This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 16. Episode 10. This is Writing Excuses. Paying it forward with Kevin J. Anderson. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Mary Robinette. I'm Dan. I'm Amal. And I'm Howard. And we are joined today by our special guest, Kevin J. Anderson. And I'm Kevin. (laughs) Hey, Kevin. Hello, Kevin. So Kevin has published more than 165 books, uh, 50 of which have been national or international bestsellers. Um, He's written novels in Star Wars, X-Files. You may know him from Dune. And uh, and then his original work, like the Saga of Seven Suns series, the Terra Incognita fantasy trilogy. And then he like edits anthologies. He has a, a, a publishing house called Wordfire. And uh, generally speaking, he is very involved in the industry and has done a lot of mentoring as well. So we thought we'd bring him in today to talk with us about the idea of paying it forward. So, Kevin, do you want to do you want to describe what paying it forward means? Well, and I, I kind of want to come up with what right at this moment, as we're recording this, if not for the pandemic, I would be in my last day wrapping up our 12th Superstars Writing Seminar, right. which would have like 300 and something in it. And we've done it for, for 12 years. And it uh, was founded with uh, me and my wife, Rebecca Mesta, uh, with Brandon Sanderson, Eric Flint, and uh, David Farland. And we got together because we were talking with one another about business stuff and, and intellectual property and copyrights and contracts. And we realized that, that, you know, nobody taught us this stuff. We had to learn it and we had to make mistakes and screw things up. And then we would rapidly go, Dave, don't do this. Or, or Brandon, watch out for this. And, and we realized that there needed to be some more, um, stuff in the industry where we would help one another out, that we would go to our our colleagues and our fellow writers and and just kind of share information. And that was what started our first superstars that we held uh, in Pasadena. And then we moved to Las Vegas and then uh, Salt Lake City. And then we've been in Colorado Springs ever since. But um, we just felt like we wanted to like share what we learned and this would have been our twelfth year. So, Kevin, and every year, oh, I was just—you uh, you said you know the talking about sharing what you know and, and sharing the info. Can can you talk about like why you felt like that was important? Well, and when every year when I do this, it feels like the greatest thing ever, even though it really takes a lot of time. And as you said in the introduction, I've got a lot of books I'm doing. I've got a lot of comics. I'm I'm working in film and TV and all kinds of stuff, and. I got back to thinking about all the people who mentored me when I was starting out. There were some big name people who, for some reason or other, kind of took me aside and and steered me in the right direction. Terry Brooks was a huge help to me. And Dean Kuntz was an enormous help to me. And Harlan Ellison was like a big mentor. And I remember one time after spending hours talking with Dean Kuntz and him giving me advice and I wrote him a letter afterward to thank him. And I said, I, I don't understand why you spent so much time paying it forward and helping me. 
And why, I mean, why me in particular? And he said, oh, I help a lot of people, Kevin, but you're just one of the only ones who ever listened. <laughs> so, fun I fun fact. Was, uh, on the, uh, the third um, uh, Superstars event, when you came to Salt Lake City, um, Brandon and Dan and I uh, all came up. Um, Mary yep. Robinette was there. And that was when we pulled Mary Robinette aside and said, hey, we are really, really Y chromosome poisoned and, and maybe you're awesome. Um, that one episode you did with us in uh, season three, the puppeteer episode, at that point was still the most talked about episode we'd done. And we were like <laughs> two seasons past it. And so we extended the invitation to Mary Robinette to join us. And so superstars bringing people together directly impacted what writing excuses became in the years that followed. Well, and this is this is an interesting point that that one of the things that you do with superstars is that you're not just doing individual one-on-one mentoring, um, that you are fostering a community. So I think that there's a couple of different ways that we can think about the idea of paying it forward. There's the uh, there's the the one-on-one, you know, the the individual mentorship thing, and then there's also the community building aspects. Um, and I think that we've we've all been involved in that in in one way or another. Amal, you've done some community building as well. That that I'd love it if you you'd share with us some of your perspectives on that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, one thing I was thinking about as you were talking, Kevin, uh, was just how how much when I so I teach creative writing now in a university, uh, as well as having taught at other very community forward um, institutions like Clarion West or like Viable Paradise and stuff. But the first thing that came to mind as you were talking was um, having started a magazine called Goblin Fruit uh, when (laughs) many years ago now. Uh, But I started it with a close friend, partly because we had been reading poetry magazines and thinking we can probably do this thing too and make a space for a different kind of poetry that we wanted to see flourish alongside what we were reading. And uh, But we had no idea how to go about it. We would read them, but we didn't know how to actually make one. And Mike Allen, who was behind Mythic Delirium at the time and who has since uh changed Mythic Delirium from a magazine into a small press publisher and so on, was enormously generous with his time and with his, um, with just kind of sharing perspectives on how to run this. Terry Windling uh, was enormously helpful, someone who like we had been so um, admiring of uh, for all sorts of reasons. And she was like people who basically we we had no sense of as peers, but rather of people to whom we looked up and stuff, being generous with their time absolutely enabled us to do this. And once we launched, we in this case being Jessica Pagewick, uh, Oliver Hunter and myself, once we launched Goblin Fruit, this community built up around Goblin Fruit that then managed to, uh, within a few years, had other people decide they wanted to start their own poetry poetry magazines, like R.B. Lemberg and Shwetan Narayan started Stone Telling that had a totally different perspective or a related but different perspective on uh, what kind of poetry they wanted to create. And once those structures were built, they like, you know, it's the whole thing about build it and they will come, right? So people started um, 
pinging off of each other, sparking off of each other, forming friendships within these structures of poetry magazines and reading each other's work and uh, and going on to collaborate in other ways uh, as a consequence. So there's just this feeling that once you love something and you want to share it with people, that that simple act kind of kickstarts a whole beautiful chain reaction of people talking to each other and sharing with each other. Um, and, and that just continues to blow my mind. It's the thing when, when I talk to my students now, I say that the one thing that uh, you can't really be given in a classroom, sorry, there's a lot of stuff that you can be taught in a classroom that you can just kind of figure out on your own. But one of the things that is just difficult to find on your own is a cohort or is a, a sense of, of community. And so like actually taking part in building those structures seems like just so crucial uh, to having these conversations. At Superstars, we call it the tribe. It's like a tribe mentality that we all sort of get together. And we we very much feel that the, the rising tide lifts all boats mm-hmm. and that if we all sort of help each other, especially now with indie publishing and, and book selling and, and publishing taking so many different turns, that, that you can't just go buy a book that says how to do it, mm-hmm. that, that everything changes weekly. And, uh, and one of the, the other kind of big important ways that I'm working on paying it forward is I'm, I'm running this whole master's degree program at Western Colorado University on getting an MA in publishing. And they, they hired me a couple of years ago just to take this thing from scratch and, and create it. And they gave me no curriculum. I just had to make up what I thought people needed to know in mm-hmm. traditional publishing and in indie publishing. And you know, look, I, my publishing house has released 350 books with 100 authors. And in the traditional publishing, I've published 140 some uh, traditional books of my own. So I kind of have the experience of course, I, I couldn't be hired until I went back to college and got my own MFA because that's a qualification to teach. But I did that and because I thought it was important to to do this right. I wanted to have the students learn like practical stuff and do hands-on things so that they could actually do it when they had a master's degree rather than, than you know, just esoteric things. And so uh, I developed a program where these yeah, we teach lectures on traditional publishing and copyright and book selling and printing and distribution and cover design and all that stuff. But what they actually do hands on is we got funding from draft to digital to have a professional anthology that they edit. Hmm. And so they send, they create it. They send out their solicitation this year. The students got 535 slush pile submissions that they had to go through and at the beginning, it was kind of funny because they were all dedicated. They wanted to do the right thing to these authors. They wanted to read every single submission straight through. <laughs> and so I, I, yeah, and I told them <laughs> at, at the very beginning, I said, no, that's not going to happen. But they, oh, they were determined. And, and after like a month, they started to, in fact, within six days, one of my students wrote back and said, you weren't kidding. These are terrible. <laughs> Most of these are terrible. And and That's so, so they they went through them and and it really got to the point where toward the end when they had a hundred stories piled up to read they'd go for the first paragraph or so and they go no nah, this isn't going to make it and and they learned as writers what they're up against <laughs> in the slush pile and you know oh. even if you just do a polite cover letter you're up in the top ten percent even if you do the like a thing without typos on the first page you're in the top ten percent. 
Uh, and so they, this was their job for their master's degree. They read the slush pile. They, they had a budget. They had a specific, you can only spend this much money. You can only buy this many words. And then they had to argue over the, do we have too many funny stories or too many intense stories? And, and do we have all male writers or do we, all this stuff that they had to work on. And they, they really got to the point of like pragmatic stuff of, we don't just get to accept everything we like. You had to really fight over things. And, and then after that, they had to write the rejection letters and they had to write the contracts yeah. and, and they had to go through the copy editing with their assigned authors and they design the cover and, and uh, they, they go through, they lay out the book, they release the book, they publish it. So when they graduate, that's sort of mm -hmm. their, it's a one-year program. And so at the end of their year, this book comes out with their names on the title page as the editorial board. And, and we, our first one called Monsters, Movies, and Mayhem got a, a box starred review in Publishers Weekly, and they're all thrilled about that. So it's, so I'm, I'm really happy to be, it's my cohort of students, and I'm in my second one now, and, and they have it like real practical stuff they're doing. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. That's, you know, that's fantastic. And, and I think that's a great segue for us to talk about our book of the week. Um, so the, the book of the week is, of course, something that uh, our esteemed guest would like to, to tell us about. Uh, so I'm sorry to make you keep talking, Kevin. Uh <laughs> well, it's, it's usually not that hard because when I, write, when I, I write these 700 page books. So it's obviously I'm not a man of few words. It's OK. Um, we're used to Brandon. These are the 700 pages is short. Yeah. Well, my, I, I call my my fantasy book is big doorstop thing. I call it one half of a Brandon Sanderson unit. So quite <laughs> uh, that. But it is. Uh, I've got this huge epic fantasy uh, trilogy. The first one was called Spine of the Dragon and the second one uh, called Venge War, which just came out. They're from Tor. They're in hardcover. And I have already delivered the third and final book in the trilogy. So for those of you listeners who don't want to start anything because you don't know if the author's going to let you down, well, I've already turned it in. It's already done. The whole three books are are there. So you can go, go pick. And it's sort of, you know, two continents at war and dozens of different main characters and dragons and monsters and sword fighting and romance and religion and philosophy and, and a uh, little bit of humor here and there. So, you know, your typical book. <laughs> the thing I love about Kevin is that every time I talk to him, he has a brand new trilogy. I didn't even know about <laughs> like, you are shockingly prolific. Yes. Yeah. Well, uh, Mary Robinette was saying, is, is this bio still up to date? And I was like three weeks old. I went, well, it's actually not, but I can't spend all my time. <laughs> all <laughs> right. So I, that's Venge War, right? Is the, like, the newest like revenge one? War. Revenge War. So Venge War together. It's, it's um, two continents clashing over stuff. Uh, oh, and that's great. And I also want to throw in that on, on my website, wordfire.com, I have a whole section on the publishing MA. So if you want to see some links and a little more background on that, that uh, and a picture of me with my beard, which I don't have the full beard anymore. But since this is audio, you can't tell that. It's, it's a, a very luscious, full, full beard. 
I mean, it's almost <laughs> Gandalfian right now. That's exactly what I'm seeing in this Gone. in this well, image. No, you're, you're looking at Howard. Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, right. Sorry, it's it's so easy to confuse. So easy to confuse. Um, but the so it's bald guys. <laughs> right. So something that I, I wanted to to draw attention to for our listeners uh, that that everyone has talked about in common is that there has been a mentor that has has helped, and then uh, rather than attempting to uh, thank the mentor through some concrete action, uh, we we pay it forward by by then turning into mentors ourselves, which is the, the I think at the the heart of what it means to pay it forward, and, and very much part of the science fiction and fantasy community in particular. So one of the things that you know we've been talking about is uh, ways in which we've been helped. But if we want to turn around and and help other people, I mean, not everyone can go and and start a uh, a writing seminar. But there are small ways that we can we can help. So, what are some of the the ways in which we can begin to serve as mentors? And what are kind of some of the pitfalls to mentoring? The things you have to sort of watch out for. Well, one of the pitfalls to mentoring, especially when I'm talking about um, publishing and, and how to get an agent and how to break into the publishing world, is the rules change every other week. So my experience when I broke in is just not relevant to anybody. So when I, I tell them how I got my agent, well, that's interesting, but it doesn't doesn't help them very much. So that's one of the pitfalls. But I mentoring is one thing, but but being a tribe is kind of another thing. I think you should all help one another. I mean, it's great if you can have um, Terry Brooks explain to you how to deal with with uh, crowds at a book signing line. But I think more, it's your own cohort. Find writers who are at your level of writing, and then you you help each other out. And you know, things like uh, like last week, as we're recording this, last week would have been LTUE, and we. I mean, we would all go there. I, we'd, I'd see most of you there and we'd help all these other writers and they would help each other as well. And and if you hear about something new that changed on Kindle Unlimited, then share it with other people because um, there there is no, um, I mean, you can't just get a newspaper that tells you everything that changed in publishing this week. Uh, we listen to writers writing excuses. We listen to various podcasts just to keep up. That's one thing that uh, we noticed very quickly with the Writing Excuses Retreat. Uh, we kind of went into this thinking that, uh, you know, the instruction that we would provide to the students would be the most valuable part and realized almost immediately that, no, it was the relationships they formed with each other and the networking that the students were able to do. Uh, you know, in the, the six years we've been doing it, the, our conference has spawned so many writing groups and so many different support groups um, even at least two marriages that I know of, but that's <laughs> beside the point. Um, and, uh, so yes, uh, finding ways to support each other at your own level of skill and your own level of, uh, you know, professionalization is still super valuable. And, and a simple you- example, simple example that I like to share, uh, about five years ago, I was at Gen Con Indy, uh, visiting with my friend, Laura D'Souza who is a cartoonist of, he's an amazing he's so cartoonist. Great. And I was talking to him and I said, yeah, I, how do you do it, Lar? My hand hurts all the time. And he handed me a pen and said, draw. And so I drew and then he said, okay, stop. 
you're gripping too hard and you're pushing too hard. I said, yeah, I know that. I, I don't know how to stop. And then he handed me a brush pen that I'd never seen before and said, take this, just take it. It will, it will reward what you're doing. You'll figure it out. I said, I, I tried brush pens. I can't do that. I can't do them. I've, I've never made them work. And he said, you're ready for them now. Just go. <laughs> It'll make this work. And no lie. cartoonist version of wax on, wax off? <laughs> it was the cartoonist version of wax on, wax off. And no lie, the, that five-minute five discussion saved my hands, took my art to a new level, and it happened because Lar, in the role as mentor, didn't expect anything from me, but he knew exactly what he was talking about. He knew exactly how to watch what I was doing and say, oh, this is the problem. You're trying to make these kinds of lines with this kind of a pen, and you're working too hard at it, and the fix is this, and you know everything you need to know to make this work, now go. And, and when I mentor others, I look for those moments. I look for the times where I can see, oh, oh, you're doing that thing that used to leave bruises on my fingertips, or you're doing that thing that made me forget, you know, names of characters or whatever. Um, and so I offer those little things and it's not a permanent mentoring relationship. It's let me give you the piece of help that you need to let you take yourself to the next level. Yeah. So this is super interesting to me. I feel like that we've been circling around something that I, I'd like to highlight a bit from what you've all been saying, because thinking of what Mary Robinette's question was about like potential pitfalls of mentoring, I feel like you've all talked about actually addressing the thing without necessarily naming the pitfall, which is that uh, it is very easy to kind of calcify in an idea of oneself as a mentor and to think that your experience is going to be a definitive one in some way. So like the fact that Kevin, that you just recognize right off the bat that like, no, actually <laughs> things are constantly in flux is to me something that, that is crucial in recognizing that, um, Things change as, and one of the things that changes uh, is your degree of authority or expertise, that that's always kind of in relationship to a landscape that's shifting around us. Uh, and I just, I love that recognition. And also the fact that a, a mentor relationship doesn't need to be permanent, it can be permeable instead. That, I mean, it seems to me, Howard, that like Lar is you know, as much a peer as he is a mentor in so many ways. There are plenty of things that you could probably share at those crucial moments and stuff that makes your relationship a more lateral one rather than a hierarchical one. And and that also, like, I, I love this idea of trying to think of paying things forward as, as not like a top-down relationship, although often we are forced into those positions. Like, there's another metaphor that I've heard uh, people use, which is... Um, sending the elevator back down, uh, where basically like if you have managed in your career to accede to a certain height, then you send the elevator back down in order to try and lift somebody else and stuff. Um, and that still kind of assumes a, a very vertical structure of people rising through something. But when we talk about community and when we talk about cohorts and relationships and stuff, it is a lot more horizontal. It is a lot more lateral. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. And thank you for bringing that up, Amal, because that's really great. And that 
uh, I wanted to, to talk about that too, that, you know, for example, Kevin and I, I met Kevin 12 years ago when my first book had just come out. I'm not a serial killer. And uh, I was at uh, the, you know, the BEA in yeah. Manhattan and we were at a signing. And so I sat down uh, for my little scheduled signing and realized that my tour publicist was sitting behind me and that I was sharing a table with Kevin. And I thought, this is amazing. I am going to impress their socks right off. And I was just on point and I was trying to be as personable as possible and as professional as possible just to impress them and, you know, try to build some networking that way. And what I realized very quickly is that, first of all, I didn't need to try quite as hard. Second of all, what Kevin was doing was just already paying attention. He was on the lookout for rising talent and immediately was treating me as an equal rather than as, you know, a student or an underling or anything like that. And that is what I have tried to do is, you know, those two things. Number one, pay attention to the people around me. And then two, you know, treat them as peers. Uh, and I have had a lot of authors that I work with tell me that I am one of their favorite teachers to work with because I treat them like a peer rather than like a student or a minion or something like that. Uh, and having that equal relationship and, and recognizing that we are all together, we're all on the same level has not, it's not only helped me professionally, but I've gotten so many more friends that way. (laughs) Yeah. I, I completely agree. That's something we say at the writing excuses retreats all the time that that we are all peers, we're just at different points on the career path. Yeah, yeah. And and that's something also that I think for people who are wanting to ask for help but are afraid to, to remember that that people who are farther along the career path um, are actually helped by the questions because it it helps us uh, keep from calcifying by, by having things pop up. It's like, oh, yeah, I haven't thought about things from that angle or, oh, I guess things have changed. The landscape has changed. Or let me articulate what it is that I do, which then helps me do it better. Um, or sometimes just someone helped me, let me help you. So there's a lot of different mm-hmm. reasons and, and ways that this, uh, this pay it forward can, can help both individuals and the community at large. And now we have some homework, which I think is Howard. Absolutely. This is one of my favorite exercises. Um, it's, a, it's a life hack as much as anything else. Sit down and and make a list of the people who have influenced you personally, who have personally interacted with you in ways that, you know, maybe it was full on mentoring. Maybe it was, a, you know, a kind word that, you know, pulled you out of a professional bind at some point. Um, maybe it was someone who, you know, like me and Laura D'Souza gave you that piece of critical information that let you take it to the next level. Make a list of the people who've been influential and write yourself a little note about what they did. Then, stage three, write them a note. Maybe you're going to, maybe you're going to email them, maybe snail mail it, maybe it's a direct message via Twitter, but find a way to say thank you. Um, most times, as uh, as Kevin has pointed out, um, when we mentor, we're not doing it because we expect to be thanked or credited in any way. But I got to tell you, we love hearing from people we've helped. And 
just as a note, when when Howard says write to someone, he's not asking you to write to us. <laughs> no, 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 not us. Unless he's interviewed. <laughs> In fact, explicitly, leave me off the list so I don't have yeah. to feel bad about making you write a letter to me. Um, <laughs> find a pe- find the people who, who who have helped you and thank them. Howard, thank you for all that you've done for me. <laughs> thank you, Kevin for everything that you've done for us, too, and all of you. And uh, thank you, listeners. This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go thank someone. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storytellers' stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like... Do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.